Welcome everybody to the September seventh edition of Cascadian Views. We've uh, we've had a, a pretty slow news week, probably mostly due to the fact that a large chunk of the United States is cowering before a hurricane. Yeah, the whole eastern seaboard and uh, Alabama, depending on who you listen to. <laughs> so I I had to explain Sharpie Gate from like beginning to end to my girlfriend this morning, and it was pretty much. The more the most surreal thing I've gone through in a long time. Uh, just having to lay it all out there like that. Uh, this all starts like basically about a week ago, where the president tweeted his like best wishes to states in the path of the storm and included <laughs> Alabama in that list. Uh, this got widespread ridicule throughout the news media, uh, and Trump didn't do anything for a day or two, and then he doubled down hard. Uh, Kept talking about how the the early forecast he saw had it going to Alabama, and that's the story, and he's sticking to it. Uh, <laughs> then, then comes the other day, just just a couple days ago, he calls a press conference where he proudly holds up a National Weather Service like hurricane forecast with the track cone, you know, the cone of probability and all that, and then somebody with a black sharpie. <laughs> added another little lobe on the end of it <laughs> going over to like part of Alabama not even a lot of Alabama like if you're gonna fake it at least fake it like to back up your point no it, it pulls in it's a couple ravaging the whole Gulf Coast <laughs> yeah so uh, that that simmers for about a day and then we get a tweet from the uh, Birmingham Alabama office of the National Weather Service uh, basically just tearing this a new one, that this hurricane was never going to hit Alabama, was never forecast to hit Alabama, uh, and you're you're stupid if you think it's going to hit Alabama, basically. Uh, to which point the director of, of NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, uh, then put out a press release chastising the Birmingham, Alabama branch and saying that weather forecasts don't work in those sorts of... Uh, exactitudes we can never say never uh and then following that the head of the union representing noah staff waded into this uh to defend his people basically and uh, attack the the main office and it is just such a clusterfuck of a a battle between reality and not yeah yeah it's very very important that I mean, God, yeah, it's been probably the one story that's kind of continued all throughout the week, which is ridiculous enough. But, yeah, it's very, very important to the White House that the tweet be retroactively made correct, even though it was it was never correct. And if, if, he, if he was going off the information he currently had, it would have been wrong then, too. This is just so ridiculous. This is this presidency. So the uh, the storm made landfall first in the Bahamas, uh, and then kind of crept along the shore, made landfall briefly in North Carolina before heading out to sea again. It's now on its way to Nova Scotia, and is actually picking up a little bit of strength again. So it, it may be a legitimate hurricane by the time it hits Canada. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is somewhat rare for them. They usually get the remnants. It's not every year you get a Canadian hurricane. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think. It will that far north. I mean, what was the big one that hit New York back in like 2012? It was Sandy, right? Yeah. That just blasted the whole northeastern seaboard, which, again, a little bit further north than you usually expect. But, you know, weather is 
less predictable. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I mean, kind of as long as we're talking about climate and stuff, I thought I saw you had a thread about the uh, climate forum. I didn't have a chance to watch, but what did you think of that? I didn't get to see all of it. It uh, First of all, it was better structured than the debates, uh, mm-hmm. even though it ended up being extremely, extremely long. Yeah. Um, it, it went for all night, basically. I think it was like five hours. Every one of ten candidates said they're on a half hour. Yeah. Uh, th- there was some news made. Uh, Bernie Sanders endorsed abortion for population and control, which you can imagine how that went over with some parts hmm. of the electorate. Yeah. For, for poverty control or uh, for population control? Oh, population control. Yeah. That's, well, um, China. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if Deng Xiaoping thought it was a good idea, then yeah, sure. <laughs> I had not seen that. I, I saw the other thing he said, which was that he didn't want FEMA to rebuild areas that were constantly hit by hurricanes, which, you know, I disagreed with Bernie about a lot, but I think he's absolutely right. We should let Florida sink into the ocean as soon as possible with uh, apologies to the fish. <laughs> yeah. Um, most of the candidates, I think, had a a pretty strong showing. That is mostly to do with the fact that almost all of them have adopted in whole or in part Inslee's climate change uh, plans. Yeah. Uh, When Inslee dropped his campaign, one of the things that he did that I I thought was actually really uh, impressive is, as he called it, open source. Uh, as somebody who lives in the open source ecosystem, that's not actually what that phrase means, but we'll, we'll run with it. He open sourced his, uh, his climate plans and he kept his climate experts on salary, even though he's winding down his presidential campaign and uh, are allowing other campaigns to basically bring them in for a while uh, to bring in you know whoever they want from Inslee's team of experts uh, who are yeah. still being paid by Inslee. To teach them these white papers that they have and, and basically use this as a public policy for the environment. That's oh, just a second. Uh, we might pa- put on pause for a moment. It sounds like uh, JJ's available. Do we oh, want to try yeah. and bring him in? Yeah, let's, let's hold him in. Commenting there. So, yeah. I think I just added him to it. All right. Hey, hey. Hey, oh hey. man, good to hear from you. Long time no hear. How are you doing? Jay? Yeah. Oh, I'm doing all right now, y'all. We were doing okay. Good. Uh, we were just talking about climate. Oh, nice. Yeah. Did you have a chance to see any of uh, CNN's climate forum? No, sadly, I haven't yet. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I noticed when I was watching it, I didn't get to see all of it, but I, I got through a, a fair bit of it was that most of them have adopted Inslee's climate change plans. Uh, kind of for good reason. Uh, as I just mentioned to Dan, Inslee's uh, made all his policy white papers available. And he's, uh, even though he's you know, shutting down his presidential campaign, he's keeping his expert staff on salary for a while and kind of lending them out to campaigns to explain Inslee's climate policy and how it all works. Nice. And, yeah, unlike an actual legal level, how all the systems interact and all that. Uh, and as a consequence, uh, most of the field, over half, has adopted either in whole or in part uh, Inslee's you 
know, set Islamic policies. And so what we heard on the climate town hall was basically a lot of people saying almost exactly the same thing. I mean, yeah, that's kind of the best that you can hope for out of a, you know, an issue-based presidential campaign, you know, is people adopting your issue and a lot of the solutions that you put out for it. Um, Castro had a particularly good night, I think, on that. Uh, for one, he had a he had a good answer on fracking. So he he was challenged uh, on the point that he he went ahead with fracking uh, a fracking project when he was on city council in uh, I believe it was El Paso, uh, and you know how we can trust him on the environment when he he did things like that. Uh, and his answer was, you know, 24 years ago when I voted for that, I voted for that because of natural gas, because it, it was a bridge fuel. It's cleaner than, than coal. It, it's cleaner than a lot of these other things. And it, we could use it to start transitioning away. That was 28 years ago. That bridge is past us. We can't, you know, use natural gas in this way anymore. I'm not for continued fracking. I thought it was a good plan back then. We're past the time where it's useful. Nobody else used it as a bridge, so we have to give it up now. And mm -hmm. it was a pretty good answer. I, I think the best answer he could have hoped to have. I, I guess. Yeah. Like well, I sure. It, I mean, yeah, it, it's it's a policy that yeah has all kinds of you know nightmares, local consequences. Um, but yeah, I mean, the point remains. Yeah, natural gas is slightly better. Well. It's, you know, coal is pretty much the worst thing you can do, the worst thing you can put into the atmosphere. So I can kind of see the argument for that. But yeah, at this point, we've been investing in other stuff since then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he, he said he's not in favor of fracking now. And, you know, 30 years ago, or close to 30 years ago, this was in the 90s when he, he voted on it, he thought it was a, a workable bridge fuel, but we've, you know, pissed away all the time since then. And we can't have bridges, we need zero carbon. God, he must have been really young. I mean, the guy's only like 40-something, I want to say, like 44. Yeah, yeah. Um, he actually had another good story about his time on city council. Uh, mm -hmm. When he worked, he worked at a law firm uh, as his day job, and then he worked mm -hmm. on the council as just an elected position. Uh, and he couldn't vote on things that were represented by his law firm because yeah. it was a conflict of interest. And there was a, a big problem uh, because they were going to build this golf course on top of uh, land that is over the city's aquifer. Uh, the city got its, its water out of an underground aquifer. And he didn't think the chemicals that they'd be using to maintain like a golf course are necessarily the ones that you want seeping into your aquifer. Uh, but it was gonna pass without his vote and he had to abstain. Uh, and so said he had a, a real clear choice. The thing that puts money on his table and allows him to support his family or, you know, the thing that he thinks is right. And he sums up the story by saying he, he walked into a law firm and he quit his job so he could go back to city council and cast the deciding no vote uh, against that development. It, it was a couple of real standout moments for him. But uh, other than that, it was all pretty much we we're watching different people say the same thing in different ways. Um, I, I will say the format was much nicer. If, if they could do the debate in that sort of style, where you know you got thirty minutes to actually like interact with voters, take questions from experts. They had experts posing questions, as well as voters and as well as journalists. I just 
it was something to see. It, it was well done for what it was, and I really wish we could extend that format elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, the debates that we've had have just sucked. I mean, the format is terrible. Nobody has time for anything. They all get, like, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, and the best they can hope for to get some news is to, you know, catch another candidate off their guard and, you know, suddenly it's a viral moment or whatever. I mean, that did it for, you know, Harris for a month, and, you know, nobody else has really caught fire in the same way. But, yeah, it's just sucked. I don't like it. How would you fix the debates, JJ? Oh, did we? Did we lose him? I think we lost Jay. It's still showing on the call for me, although his microphone's huh. muted. Mine. All right. Okay. Yeah the the debate field for the September debate is now set. Uh, we've got the the ten candidates. I think JJ is back. At least his mute icon disappeared. I see him. Yeah, JJ. No, Might be his microphone. <laughs> Huh. Might be that Windows update we were complaining about before the show. God, yeah, that was so awful. The uh, the September debates are here. Uh, they're coming up next week. This will be your last show before. Hello. Hey. Oh, oh no awesome! Shit. How the fuck did that work? All right, I won't question it. It's <laughs> <laughs> fucking dual mute button. It's bullshit. Oh man. But on things you will question, JJ. How about these debates coming up? Okay, say that again. Sorry. <laughs> how, how would you make the debates better? Uh, I, I was talking about the structure of the town hall that they used for the environmental uh, shindig they did. The other yeah, I, I look forward to seeing that just to see what you're talking about. I mean, any anything other than the soundbite system that Dan was just talking about, like, seems like it would be better. I... I, again, I, I really wish I had the patience and the interest to like go back and watch a pre-2000 debate and see what kind of structure and format they used before this became like a corporate shit show. Um, and it became progressively more and more about soundbite politics. Because um, I would like to see what like what that actually looked like. I'm not so sure we ever really had that. Like, the, the modern primary system is relatively new. It only dates back to, like, the 60s or so. Yeah. Well, from my understanding, uh, what the when the Daughters of Liberty ran it, it was a much more uh, substantive debate system. It wasn't quite so rapid-fire, kind of a... And, and certainly not what it's become now, but... It's gotten kind of dumbed down. Yeah. That there's, I mean, that we now see, you know, both more candidates, shorter time, just, I mean, even I would say down to the stuff with CNN, like they're, they're asking, you know, Republican talking points as questions that, that make them legitimate. And I'm led to believe that that was, that that happened far less in the time uh, with the daughter's liberty. Hmm. I'd love to check it out too. We should see if there's like, publicly available copies of some of those old ones. Like, I'm trying to think, like, yeah, you'd be looking at, like, 92, um, so, yeah. like, Clinton and Songus and Jerry Brown. Um, I, don't, I don't know if they had, if things had already been switched over by 2000. 
because most of the you know I think it was two thousand that it happened. Yeah, Republican stuff. So you'd get you know Steve Forbes, you know, going on about the flat tax and Pat Buchanan doing his proto Trump. Yeah, Yeah. Pat Buchanan going off about the Jews. Oh God! Well, he he went off about Mexicans in public. You know, Jews was more in private. So (laughs) yeah, pretty bad either way. The debate field is only 10, so we're only getting one day uh, this month. Mm-hmm. That I almost wish it had still been two days. Like, if you had the same 10 people, but you split it out to, like, five each debate. But on the other hand, I'm sick and tired of them not putting, like, Biden and Warren on the same stage together. Yeah. I don't know how you avoid that for this entire summer. Yeah. How many debates out. do we have after this one? Uh, we got <sighs> at least the October ones. I believe the DNC is only committing to the September and October ones. I imagine there'll be more. They just don't have them planned out. Yeah. So it's possible we could actually stay at ten candidates in a debate. It's actually possible we'll go back up for October. Uh, yeah, it could be like twelve or. Because, yeah, Gabbard's on the edge, uh, Steyer's on the edge. All the the overlap in, in the periods, all the polls that you could have used to qualify for the September debate, you can also use to qualify for the October debate, plus the extra month of time after the September debate. So you get a yeah. double dip. Uh, and basically, we're cool. almost guaranteed to have more candidates at the debates in October. Yeah, yep. that would be what that does. Yep, Gabbard uh, only needs like one or two more polls in the next month. That Steyer just needs one. Yeah, great, awesome, <laughs> uh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would hope there's more, especially. Uh, I would say maybe some more of these candidates will drop out, uh, especially if they start raising the thresholds just a little bit more. I mean. If nothing's really happening for Cory Booker or Amy Klobuchar, I would expect that they would probably be withdrawing before the end of the year. Uh, you know, same with Beto O'Rourke. I would expect. Um, I think Beto's out pretty soon. I think Booker is yeah. on until at least South Carolina. Just okay. God damn it! Narrow it down to the top four, maybe the top five. <laughs> Brock, I think I have a new answer to your question. Okay. If if we're going to continue to have a clown car full of people, I think that we should do a policy pageant. So every candidate gets to pick one policy and they talk about it. Mm. And every other candidate gets to ask them a question about that policy, to which case the candidate gets a rebuttal. uh, And then we just move right on down the line. You know what? I actually really like the sound of that. Like, that's just right off the cuff, but, you know, I think that there's something workable there. I, I agree completely, uh, especially when the debates, as they are going to inevitably do, uh, move to the early states. Like, we're going to start having Iowa-specific debates here any day. Mm-hmm. We're like four months from Iowa voting. <laughs> Just let yeah. that sink in a little bit, guys. We, we are almost through Trump's first term. We are four months away from Election Day in Ohio. Oh, Iowa God, you said right. first term. <laughs> A shudder went down my spine. I will just hedge in our beds. Yeah, I will not be the one responsible, Dan. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. The uh, 
the ones who got left out, notably uh, Gabbard and Williamson, are uh, kind of crying foul at this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the DNC does have some weird rules around this uh, in terms of what polls they find acceptable and what they don't. It's it's not entirely consistent. Yeah, and There are many very high quality polls that are not counted and there are a lot of very extremely sketchy, uh, especially in the early state primaries, which they allow. You can use either a national poll or an early state primary poll. Uh, and some of the ones that they uh, accept are just completely ridiculous, like a, a free, basically a capital city weekly equivalent, like a free weekly ad supported like rag cheap, uh, totally gets in in Iowa. It's, it's a little bit funny. Uh, but they're all getting a very receptive audience on, on Fox News. Uh, Tucker Carlson had, I believe it was Tulsi Gabbard, uh, all over his, his show just uh, Monday, Tuesday, one of those days. Yeah. Uh, yeah, early in the week. Mm-hmm. I mean, anything to, to drum up problems for the Democrats. It goes back to... Uh, Russ Limbaugh and his Operation Chaos in 2008, where uh, with the Republican nomination decided, even if he didn't like the guy that much, he wanted people to vote in the Democratic primary in the open states for the candidate that was behind, just to drag out the primary as long as possible. Yeah, and at that point, actually, I don't know if that specifically worked, but yeah, I mean, that was the dynamic in 2008. I mean, Clinton was behind, but by the end, she was actually steadily gaining ground over those last couple of months. So, yeah, that, it played out more or less like that, and it kept things going longer than it probably should have. Yeah, I, I have no idea how much of an impact it really had, but he was crowing about that on his radio show for fucking months. Uh, sure. Getting everybody who had listened to try and do it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. they, uh, they love meddling in our primaries. Which, to be yeah. fair, we do the same. I mean, Claire McCaskill spent millions of dollars picking her own opponents in Republican primaries, basically. Well, I was rooting on Trump all the way through 2016. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, let that be a lesson to you, Dan. I know. I know. It's you know, never safe. Never. Yeah. All right, let's talk uh, Washington local, because with Inslee dropping out of the presidential race, he's dropping back into the governor race for a third term, and uh, I guess he's scaring some Republicans out. Yeah, it's looking a lot less competitive than it might otherwise have been. Uh, The big development in the uh, race this week was uh, former Representative Dave Reichert, who uh, was, I believe, what represented the 10th district, I want to say. Uh, basically the, one of the most competitive ones in the state. And he was a Republican holding it for years and years and years and years. Eighth and he'd been eighth district. Okay. I knew it was one of those in there, you know, East King County, basically. So, you know, not quite Seattle, but a lot of the suburban areas near Seattle, you know, I think a lot of Bellevue, I think it went actually as far East as I want to say around Ellensburg and the far end out there. So not just King County too, but you know, further East as yeah, well. Uh, Chelan, Wenatchee, Ellensburg, all, all lumped in there. It also went yeah. um, as far north as, looks like maybe 10, 50 miles from the Canadian border. Yeah, yeah, well, there's there's not a lot of people out in that <laughs> part of it. There, there's a lot of bears that are represented there and mountain lions, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, he had been a strong prospect to run for governor. He'd been kind of flirting with that idea. Um, 
and there was all kinds of chaos as to you know who might run in Inslee's place if he were not running for re-election. You know, there was you know Bob Ferguson, the Attorney General, Hillary Franz, the uh, Commissioner of Public Lands. Uh, I think Dow Constantine was also looking at it for a while, but now that Inslee's back in, everybody everybody else on the Democratic side is out. And uh, Reichert, who was uh, the great Republican hope, uh, has also said he's not going to run after all, which has left the rest of the field looking pretty second string. Right now, it looks like the most prominent of the announced candidates is uh, Senator Phil Fortunato, who also represents East King County, but he did not, does not rather have Reichert's uh, reputation for moderation. I mean, the write-up I see on him, he's uh, talking about a constitutional amendment to ban an income tax, uh, guns, 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 guns. So I expect that's going to go over like a lead balloon in the parts of the state where elections are won and lost. Was Reichert an actual moderate, or did they just have that reputation? Uh, I think he probably split it a few ways. Like he was one; he didn't vote again. Well, I'm sorry, he did not vote for the uh, Obamacare repeal in 2017. So he was one of the few that you know stayed, you know, kept from going that far. Um, so he was definitely on the chopping block, and I think he was worried about keeping a seat, which might have been one of the things that kept him from running for re-election in the first place that year. Voted so, in favor revealing "Don't ask, don't tell." I just noticed. Yeah, one of only so, Republicans to do so. Yeah, so he was, you know, he was mindful of his district, especially as it was getting more and more blue over the last decade or so, last you know, ten to fifteen years. Um, so. Yeah, it's mostly reputation. I mean, with any Republican, they're still kind of signing on to an agenda that's, I don't know how you could call any of it moderate, but there's less performative cruelty, I think, to Reichert's style of politics. But, um, yeah, I I think he would have been pretty formidable, especially against a non-Insley candidate. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of left everything to the second string now. So something's kind of interesting to me. Did he was his district redrawn substantially in, in two, after two thousand ten? I think yeah. Well, first of all, we had to add a district which was uh, mostly out of the very far northwest, and that's now Susan Del Bene's. And uh, the uh, second got redrawn a little bit too, and that ended up taking you know pieces out of uh, Reichert's, but. Even then, I think it probably made it kind of forestalled a lot of uh, the blueing of that district as it went because that took out a lot of, uh, you know, Snohomish County suburbs, North King County suburbs, you know, places that were going to go Democrat but had been, I believe, a part of his district prior to that. So I'm, so. I'm not entirely uh, sure what's going on. I noticed starting with the 2000 election, his margin suddenly got much healthier. Like yeah. between eight and fifteen percent better, but looking it up, um, two thousand twelve was still in his old er, yeah his old district. He didn't get the new one until two thousand thirteen was when they redrew. No, no, no. Twenty twelve was in the new district. Uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, from really two thousand three to two thousand thirteen, they have a map of what the district used to look like, uh, and then state that it was redistricted uh, after the two thousand twelve election. Really? That well, that I mean, no, that's. 
Wikipedia could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I, so that, that that can't be right because you know the census went into place and the new districts would have been 2012. But it would match yeah. up better with his, his vote share kind of ballooning from the mid-50s up to the low to the mid-60s. In 2012, 14, and 16? Yeah, so yeah. He, he goes from winning with 51, 52% of the vote in each election, like four straight elections with that much, up to 59.6, 63.2, and 60.2. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of his more, you know, the more Democratic portions of his district ended up getting moved into the second, I believe, you know, in the 2012 redistricting. And, uh, yeah, so it was pretty safe. So even that, though, you know, the Trump effect, you know, led it to once Reichert was no longer competing for it, you know, now it's Kim Scryers. And uh, I think she's, I mean, she's not super comfortable, but I would favor her for re-election this coming year. Yeah, his district right now doesn't have really any Seattle suburb that I know by name. I mean, I might have heard of Issaquah before. It's, wow, yeah, that's all the way out onto I-90. That's not really Seattle suburbs, but you got people who work for Boeing there. Well, that's the closest he gets to Seattle. Yeah. Maple Valley is the other, I guess, kind of close one in there. But yeah, I guess it's not like Bellevue anymore or anything like that. No, so. it, that was the old one. That was the yeah. 2000-2010 or whether or not we had set Wikipedia possibly 2003. <laughs> to Who knows? Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. one included Sammamish and Bellevue, Bellevue and Mercer Island and whatnot. Yeah. You know, you know, wealthy Microsoft employees that, you know, they don't want their taxes raised, but they also, you know, don't care for Trumpified Republicans. So, uh, JJ, I take it you're not going to be voting for Richard? <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine so. Can't imagine so. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I guess all I get in Washington news is mostly reading um, my Northwest. I know, Dan, we talked about this briefly, but from from that news source, I would have thought that Inslee had no chance at re-election. I yeah. thought the entire state hated him. Oh, really? I mean, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> My Northwest is, it's kind of weird. So I, I accept the like vaguely conservative lean of the Oregonian. Uh, but my Northwest is like some openly culture warrior shit. Like, yeah. Uh, they publish on their front page, like half their content is their fucking movement conservative radio show host publishing screeds for everybody to read. Right. <laughs> so you get like 20 editorials a day about how uh, Kashama Sawant is a Maoist or whatever. Yeah, they yeah. they had like this leaks from the uh, the socialist like National Party, whatever, Socialist Alternative uh, yeah, yeah. National Group. Uh, and we're treating like it was the most shocking thing in the world that she was checking in on them before she made staff decisions, which... I, I guess I kind of want a representative who's independent, but I mean, come on. If we expect people to take advice from their party and, you know. That's her party. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm like, I don't think this is any more scandalous than, like, somebody got a tip on who to hire from the DNC. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so that's just about going to do it. And I'll paste this together with our talk with Will from last week, and we'll get a full episode out of it. Thanks, right guys. on. Cool, cool. Yeah, short week. Right. There was a hurricane. Not a whole lot happened. <laughs> yeah. Indeed.
JJ, you we're all going to sink in the, the ocean. Map. Is there anything you want to say about Sharpie Gate? Uh, God. I don't really know what to say about that. Oh, man. It was great. Yeah, you should have been here for the first five minutes. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's too bad. I like to hope that 20 years from now, Sharpie Gate's going to be somebody's you know Facebook photos from when they passed out at a party in college and someone drew dicks on their face <laughs> and ended up getting posted and that becomes a big deal. So. We, there, there is a what if rather than drawing dicks on faces, people just drew Sharpie Gate? <laughs> just like <laughs> drew a map of the South right, on, on somebody's face around... Alabama, yeah. <laughs> now that's art, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. That's high level. Have a good week. <laughs> Take care. Later. Bye. Oh. Hey, guys, how's it going? Pretty good. Doing All right. Doing well, doing well. It's happy to join you guys. Of course. Uh, you are the one of our group that is still back in Alaska. So, uh, I, I am still here, and it's um, it's definitely been a fun one. You know, it's it's been a unique year for sure. Yeah, we uh, we just heard that they they finalized up their budget. There was a really summer long drama playing out between the legislature and well, the legislature and then the legislature and the governor. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely uh, a two v one, and then uh, a one v one v two. So, um, you know, going back all the way to January, the governor introduced his budget uh, on the thirteenth, which is by statute the last day he can, February thirteenth. And um, he'd worked on it with Donna Arduin, who he'd brought up from uh, Arduin Laffer Moore from Art Laffer and Stephen Moore. So, definitely bit of a libertarian streak there and um they had done some things that i originally was like interested in just for the you know the novelty sake i guess they were looking at combining the ugf and the dgf um they did not include funding uh or a mechanism for the permanent fund dividend they felt that this year they were going to strike that out on its own um there was no senior benefits or the pioneer program the legacy benefits those things that didn't happen the Pioneer Program, so, for those who don't know, is a uh, state-run old folks home, basically. Yeah, and I think we're pretty unique in the sense that we actually subsidize them to a very large degree outside of you know other states that provide state senior care, that type of thing. So that all came out in February, and then um, immediately, you know, the, the, the House had its own issues with uh, nominating a speaker. There was uh, a slim majority of 21 Republicans originally elected. Um, one decided that he wasn't going to join the group of 21 to help them out. They were a pretty raucous bunch, and he didn't think they had uh, the ability to carry the budget. So um, they spent about a month getting that done. So that that happened, and then the budget rolls out. And so from about February 13th uh, through about the end of March, the House put together a budget um, the House majority is predominantly Republican, uh, or predominantly Republican, few Republic, uh, Democrat, few Republicans, and then the Speaker, Bryce Edgman, had a uh, caucus with the Republicans, was most recently Democrat, but then switched to an independent. So we've got... Alaska politics is very fluid. <laughs> yeah. No, we're, we're definitely not the, the round peg in the round hole as far as partisanship or anything that. I think it's more regional and, and stuff of that nature. 
And um, so this year was kind of a, a banner for that, you know, where uh, rural and urban and, and partisanship that all came in, came into it. And um, they ended up passing a budget, uh, the House did, uh, in April, April 11th. And um, they had kind of yes and no on the PFD, the Permanent Fund Dividend, where um, they were willing to appropriate one6 uh the, the money's for a $1.6,000 PFD. So with the PFD, there's a couple of things going on with that is that historically we used to, we have oil money, investment money, uh, oil tax money, settlement money, and that all goes into the permanent fund. And we used to calculate that on a five-year average. And back, I believe in 2015, uh, the previous governor, Governor Walker, had vetoed that. And so one of our senators, Senator Wilikowski, had actually sued the state of Alaska in Wilikowski v. Alaska and said, hey, you can't do that. The PFD is not a normal appropriate, it's a special appropriation. And so he actually lost. So the Supreme Court does say that the PFD is a normal appropriate. And so in response to that, the legislature had passed a bill that instead of using the previous formula, went to a thing called the percent of market value, or we would draw 5.25% from the earnings for the percent of market value. We'd pay PFDs off of that. And that was after Walker had vetoed three years. For the, the first year, he knocked it down to 1,100. And then him and the legislature the next two years agreed on 1,600. So without that agreement, the quote-unquote statutory formula would have been closer to 3,000. So... Dunleavy ran against that. He says, hey, we've got to follow the formula. And so when they passed this budget, they again leaned into the $1,600 PFD, but it wasn't in the budget. So the, the kind of the idea was there, but the, the legs weren't. And so the Senate went ahead and passed their own uh, on May 3rd, which was close, but not the same. And then here's some of the big stuff that happened with that was the House failed to concur on that. So that like usual, drew it to a conference committee. And um, they passed that in June, the 12th of June. And uh, it did have the $1,600 PFD. It passed both chambers uh, two days later. But then there was stuff where um, Alaska has what's known as a budgetary sweep. In the early 90s, the legislature and the voter initiative set up so that all accounts at midnight on the end of June go into the general fund. And Historically, we've done it every year. Outside of this year, we've done it every year except for one where we do what's known as a reverse sweep. And we just essentially redeposit those funds to the amount we took out goes back in. There was one year, uh, I believe it was the early 2000s, where the Democrats leveraged that for education funding. They said, hey, we're not going to, you need a three-quarter vote. And they, they had enough to stop it. They didn't have enough to do their own. They had enough to stop it. Um, they they succeeded in in denying the reverse sweep, but it never it, it never worked out for their what they wanted was the increase in education funding. So we kind of had that happen this year. They passed the budget, but then there was not enough for the to access the budget reserves. So we kind of were in a holding pattern there for um, I'd say about mid April tax day till about. Uh, you know, they, 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 the conference committee came out uh, the 12th. It passed on the 14th. 
And everyone was kind of not really sure if that was going to stand. We knew the governor probably had more vetoes loaded. And then um, on the 8th of July, so after the beginning of the fiscal year, which is July 1 for us, he puts out his vetoes. And um, it, they were pretty steep. There were stuff that Alaska has, you know, things as far as the conservative and um, liberal end of things. We, we have conservatives that fight for social programming and, and like UBI type stuff with the PFD. So they came out and they did a lot of vetoes. Um, let's see here. We've had um, some of the interesting ones that have kind of made the national news was he vetoed 355 grand from the courts because they found that um, Alaskans have a right to abortion because that's federally law. We have a right to privacy here. It's in our constitution. It's a stronger so he kind right of, to privacy than the rest of the U.S. has. Yeah, yeah, we, we are the strongest, you know, like when weed was legalized here in Raven v. Alaska, it, it wasn't because of weed, it was because of that constitutional right to privacy, you know, it's, it's very strong for us, you know, it's a big thing. So, yeah, the, uh, the abortion thing was kind of interesting where he can't take that money out that way, but um, he could essentially defund their budget that amount. So that was a, you know, that's a, it's, it's novel. You know, I, I don't agree with it, but it was definitely novel. And then um, some of the other stuff, like um, he reduced the uh, school bond debt re reimbursement where municipalities will issue bonds for school improvements, building, et cetera. Um, and, and they normally pass under the idea that if the state has a, a back out clause, and that, that, to my knowledge, had never happened before, but it did this year to 50%. Originally 100, and then outcry was too large, so it got reduced to 50. Um, some of the other fun ones that we, that also made the news was uh, the Medicaid. So we vetoed 50 million for Medicaid, and then an additional 27 for the dental from Medicaid. But with those, it isn't. It doesn't matter if you appropriate them now or if you do so later in a supplemental. Like Medicaid is Medicaid it kind of has to go out. So we had a few of those. And then this most recent thing, so the 8th is when those came out, July 8th. Um, July 22nd, which was way too close for us as a state, we passed SB 2002, which was the capital budget. And so that's for things like constructions, projects, road maintenance. You know, the big joke in Alaska is we have two seasons, winter and construction. And... That's the, that's the big joke everywhere. Well, right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a pretty normal thing. And, you know, capital budgets are, are a big part of that. And um, so up here in Alaska, even though our fiscal year starts July 1, the real clock is August 1, because that's when reconciliation is supposed to have been finished from the previous year. And if you don't have money in the, in the bank then, then you're at risk of losing federal funding, things like that. So... Uh, just like previously before with the PFD and all that, it passes, but it did not meet the threshold to access the budget reserve funding. And so we've got this group that um, they started out about 18 strong uh, at the beginning of session. They whittled down to 15. And then as of two weeks ago, they're down to 13. Um, they're not big enough to pass anything, but they're big enough to stop any budget access tapping. And so that's been a big issue for us. And so, yeah, we had that go through most of July. And then after that, it wasn't until August where uh, 
the but the governor did sign it again and then vetoed. And um, some of the things that he really got hit on were uh, the Council of the Arts, um, soup kitchens. Uh, yeah, for, for completely zeroed. And so what's crazy about that is it, it was kind of ex post facto in the sense that the fiscal year had already began. And so can Uh, we have a thing called the Ocean Ranger Program where we take monies from cruise ships and things of that nature, and then they monitor uh, emission standards on cruise ships. And so it doesn't really cost us anything. It's more the idea of like receipt authority or pass-through funding. Um, so those all got uh, zeroed, and then uh, Senior Benefits was up there, Alaska Legal Services, which provides uh, low or no-cost legal assistance to Alaskans. He Head start. Out the, uh, village public safety program, yeah, so that one, so that one is an interesting one. I think it's worthy of discussion in the sense that um, I believe it was either three or six million that he had vetoed, but we had also received a DOG uh, DOJ grant for the same amount. So it's one of those things that he can take it kind of back to his group and say, "Hey, you know, I saved us X." But in reality, it's just there was a lot of cost shifting that that looked like savings is kind of what happened with this budget. Okay. And so it's been interesting. I think that at this point, the so we're at his third round of vetoes, essentially, right? The original budget in February and then the, the first signing and then the, the going against. Uh, I think these ones are going to stand because they normally need uh, if he calls them into special session. They need 30 days advance notice, and we haven't seen the appetite from them to call themselves. They don't have the votes. They need 40 in their upper to mid-30s right now. And you have that one group you said they can just kind of gum up the works on whatever they do do? Yeah, and so it's, it's really interesting. So one of the things that kind of got me a lot of mileage, I guess, and just kind of talking about things like this is – uh, the last two years, Alaska has a, a two-year session for the legislature. During the 30th, the last two years, we had this guy, David Eastman. And um, he's from Wasilla, which is Sarah Palin's hometown. They're known to be very, no government is the best government. And um, he, he was a, a group of one for majority of the time. He had actually voted against every other member of the legislature. Uh, when they would vote yay, he had voted, he was the lone no, no vote. 75 times. And so we, we started calling it a Neastman, like a no Eastman, because they show on the board Y or N and then the last name. And it, it was a novelty. Like, it, you know, this is something that that's pretty rare. Normally it's a protest vote or I, I don't like Sally in that committee, so I'm going to vote this way. So that, ha that, that only, we only had one of those. Um, we've seen about four or five of that sort of person get elected to the 31st legislature. And so they're able to couple up with a lot of the, the interior Alaskans, which tend to be the right flank of the, the Republican side. And so they've got, Alaska has a very high bar for veto overrides when it comes to appropriations, you need three quarters. And so if you don't have that 45 of the 60, it, it's really hard. And so with them, when they had the 16 at first, they couldn't pass anything with 16. You know, there's, it's less than uh, the House is 40, the Senate's 20. They didn't have a majority, but they could stop 
the budget access votes uh, for the reserves and uh, the veto override. So that's that's kind of where we've been. Is that you know we've got we've got a group that can't get anything done, but they can sure as heck stop a lot of it. And the governor is getting some fairly significant pushback on this. Uh, I guess kind of primarily around the the university, but it's been enough to spur a, a recall challenge, Jim. Yeah. So, so yeah, and, and you know, I, I'd love to talk about both of those. I think that, um, like I was saying earlier, when we passed a percent of market value, um, it also one of the other prongs of that was it allowed the Alaska State Legislature to use permanent fund appropriations to fund government, and that's like a very out there thing. That I mean, it definitely doesn't happen in America, and it really hasn't happened in Alaska, but. One of the nice things about that is you can look at his vetoes and say, hey, well, if this cuts X and there's Y amount of PFDs that get sent out, you know, oil checks every year, we can calculate for Z, like how much is the potential to the PFD, right? Because he, he promised that he'd pay us the, the full 3.2. So the, the university cuts, um, they were system-wide. So it wasn't, and, and that's like a structured deficit, right? Where you're just saying, well, the university can figure it out. Um, he'd cut them 130 million. And that was a big, big step down. Um, the outcry to that was near universal. I think it was 86% were opposed to his cuts overall and over 90% were opposed to the UA cuts. So he reduced that down to, I believe it was just 25 million, maybe 30 million in this year. And so, it did spark the recall. And some of the interesting things about uh, the recall is we've got, uh, I believe it's Joe, but it's uh, Usabelli. The, he's a big mining guy up here. He's a Republican. He actually spent 25 grand to get Dunleavy elected. So he's started the, he's one of the, the founding members of the recall, along with uh, Vic Fisher, who is the last living Alaska state constitutional delegate. And then they've got a, other, a couple of other folks of that caliber. And um, they need to get, it's 10% of the f- previous election for the first threshold. And then the second is 25. And so there was 289,000 in the 2018 general election. So they need 28.9 and they're currently at 36.5. And yeah, and so Dunleavy won with 51 one percent of the vote but only 49 percent of alaskans voted so you know it's 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 somewhere in the 26 percent range so um could it pass like probably um yeah it, it could get there uh realistically or practically i i don't see it because i think it's one thing to sign on to, you know for the for the sign up and just say hey you know good luck and i think it's something else to be like yeah let's let's do this so um it very well could and then some of the issues with that, though, is that in Alaska, the lieutenant governor is the one that oversees elections. And so they've submitted the first round to be uh, reviewed and vetted, uh, the 10% signatures. And he, he, there's no statutory timeline on that. He can take one day, 10 days, 10 weeks, 10 months. Um, I think regardless of where it goes, it's going to see a lawsuit of some sort. So... You know, but there's um, there's a lot of folks that you wouldn't really expect, um, like Mr. Isabelli, like you wouldn't expect coal mining to come out against a Republican. Um, 
the Alaska uh, Journal of Commerce has written an op-ed against them, an editorial. So uh, you're seeing things that I, you wouldn't expect before, right? It's and then I think the other thing... Level of pushback, you know, something that you don't oh, expect from a Republican. For sure. And, you know, and I think that that's actually a valid uh, parallel there in the sense that Donna Ardwin, our director of management and budget... Was a Kansas uh, budget gal. She she did the same in California and Florida, and so her her stoke tends to be what is the scale and scope of government, and it's definitely to the right of most of my Republican friends. And so, like we've seen in Kansas, you know, they kind of it took them a few years to kind of get that hangover. But I don't know. Maybe Alaska. Maybe we're fast approaching it. Maybe not. But. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely been real this year and you, and you feel that thing where, um, Alaskans tend to be politically involved when they need to be, you know, it's not like, it's not like everyone is always talking about nothing but the budget, you know, or at the store or at the pub or anything like that. But, um, yeah, when they had, yeah, so right. So we're, we're in our thirties for, for the majority of our lives. Alaska gave us $2,000 a year to like, we didn't really have to pay attention, you know, budgets were great. Everything was good. And so, um, yeah, I, you know, I personally, I, I have no problem saying I did sign it. And for me, um, it was the issue where he had done the, when we swept everything into the general fund, there's the reverse sweep that's supposed to happen. He tried to say that some things were not eligible or more things were eligible to be swept than ever been before in state history, unless we're eligible to be unswept. And so that for me was like, ah, you know, because for me, recall serious. I don't think it's like, oh, I just disagree with the guy. It's like, no, this guy's like malfeasant or, you know, not do doing the duties prescribed. So. No, totally understand. And uh, I, I think we're going to call it yeah, it's it's interesting, and um, yeah, if anything pops up, I'm sure we'll chat again. Awesome, thank you very much. Uh, and Definitely. Dan and I'll keep going. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. Definitely. Take care, guys. Have a good one. Bye.